it's like working out. So it's starting to enjoy the pain because you know growth is on the other side of the pain. Because I can focus on what happens after this and what increases and improves in my life after this, I'm willing to endure this because of what I believe comes after. And so it's helping people wrestle with those pieces of themselves inside of the pain that allows them to focus more on who am I after this pain? And if that is more alluring than who I am now, I'm willing to go through it. Welcome to the Young and Driven Podcast, where we explore the world of entrepreneurship. Join us as we dive into the nitty gritty of what it takes to start, grow, and scale a successful business. We're on a mission to share our experiences, failures, insights, and advice with others. Whether you're just starting out in your entrepreneurial journey, or you're looking to take your business to the next level, tune in and join the conversation about what it takes to succeed in the world of business. Kyrie, right? Yep. I, I just want to make sure because the no, two E's helps me. The two E's, two E's help me, but sometimes it's like, sometimes you never how, know. How terrible people pronounce my name sometimes. <laughs> I, that doesn't make any sense because it's like, it's it seems phonetic, phonetically like. Kyrie, like it's, it's bad. <laughs> so fucked up. So to the point where now when I like, if I'm ordering somewhere and they ask me my name, my first name's Raymond. So I just tell them Ray. And anytime I'm with someone who doesn't know that that's my first name, always looks at me crazy like, the fuck you, you just telling him a random name? And it was because <laughs> people kept fucking up Kyrie, so I just say Ray now as like a default. That's crazy. Wait, okay, so first off, welcome to the pod. This is a, this is a, that's a scuffed intro, but I don't mind it. I'm all about this. <laughs> I'm sitting here with Raymond Kyrie Oliver, who's a Facebook ad. I'm going to say you're a guru because I think you have metrics that no one can really like no one can really say for themselves like you're the amount of money that has gone through you and your business mm-hmm. um and the amount of money that you've generated i think a lot of people would be jealous of um so there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that i would love to learn from you today um but talk wait so why why do you go by Kyrie instead of raymond if, if it's your middle name um so actually i used to go by raymond in elementary school because i got yeah. made fun of for having a unique name so i because I got made fun of, I think it was in kindergarten for having a unique name. I actually went back and was uh, Raymond throughout elementary school. And then I think I just got comfortable with it. But like nobody in my family at all calls me Raymond. Um, I think my dad. I, like Raymond, Raymond gets straight A's, but Kyrie, he, he's a cool guy. He gets yeah, Kyrie was, that, that's... Just, it was better. Once I got comfortable with it, it was just better. And then I also like, I believe I look and act and sound more like a Kyrie than a Raymond. Yeah. I mean, Kyrie Irvin helps too. Like that, that, like you say Kyrie and it's like people, people, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. People feel it. it. Yeah. Anyway, welcome. (laughs) Thanks for coming on. Thanks for spending time with me. Um, I want to ask first and like, just give me, just give me a little rundown of your history. What got you into, uh, like I want to, I'll get into your makeup and your value system as a person, but what got you into the Facebook ads business? Mm. Um, what has that business been like for the past few years? And I really want to kind of dive into like your your perspective on the future of it and your future of what Meta's doing yeah. and what ads are going to look like in the future. So give me give me just a rundown of like your background and how you got into it. Yeah, so I started doing it for a friend of mine. So this is the end of 2015. I got into Facebook okay. ads. And it wasn't like, dude, it was a wild, wild west back then. You can kind of just do whatever you want. Um, yeah. A little bit insane. And so... I started doing it for the friend. He had hired another company and they were terrible. 
and they were essentially, I guess, scamming him. So they were buying him followers from third world countries and then having them follow him on Facebook, like some of his posts, and then never do anything again. Um, And so I started doing it kind of as a, hey, these guys suck. Let me try to figure it out for you. Pay me 500 bucks a month and I'll do it for you. And in the first year we built him to, it was over 180,000 followers uh, on Facebook. And then I don't remember how many on Instagram. But Facebook was our main platform. We were spending like $2 a day on Facebook ads. Like it was super, super cheap. Maybe $3. Um, And so I just started looking probably about six months in. I was like, can I, we were were using it to build a brand. Can I use it to sell products for people? Because I know that that's where people are making money. So I actually don't have a marketing background still to this day. Never read a marketing book. Never taken a marketing course. I've never learned how to traditionally market but my whole background's in human behavior, human psychology. And I realized that marketing was an area in which I could implant that knowledge to better understand how a consumer thinks, why a consumer's gonna do something, why we as people, just how we view ourselves, the world around us, and then what yep. crafts those views, and to use that to kind of help write the copy and produce the, the type of ad campaigns I think people are gonna respond well to. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And and so what what were you doing beforehand? Like were you, are you I'm I'm guessing you seem like you got to be a fitness guy. I was playing Can't college be. football. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. What college did you go to? University of Idaho. Nice. Nice. What did what, what what position? I was a left tackle for the most of the time and then I started playing center a little bit, but mostly left tackle. Which one's which one's harder? Uh center, center left. Way harder. Center, because it seems like you you start with zero leverage. You start with like you're already on your back foot, right? So no, you, you no, you actually have a, a benefit because um, you know when the ball snapped more than anybody else. True. You're the one snapping the ball. But like if yeah. we're doing a silent count, or if like it all goes off of you, you set the tempo for the offense, yeah. and then you're kind of like the quarterback of the offensive line. So you have to know everybody else's responsibilities. As a tackle, I really needed to know which way my guard was sliding, and who's coming off the edge. If there's an extra off the edge, he slides to me. If there's not, he slides in. Like, it was pretty simple, and you kind of only need to know what the next guy next to you is doing for the most part. Sandra, you have to know what everybody's doing. How Were you aggressive in the gym or no? Yeah. Were you aggressive, like, working out? Some guys I know, like, sometimes they just, like, you can just rely on your size, and you're just like, I'm just going to be the be the mass here yeah i think at the beginning i could and then when i realized i was getting good that was going to be a big part of the differentiator like during my junior and senior year of high school when colleges are actually looking at you that's where i realized like skill really comes into play if you're wanting to play at the division one level so yes size works there was a lot of big guys there weren't a lot of big guys who were agile and strong and could actually like move their weight around effectively they were kind of just standing in the way yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Okay, so you were in college going to school for football. For I mean, what? I was like football. I think I'd say like, communications was going to be my Yeah, okay. But Well, I'm just saying cuz you you're ta- saying like you understood human behavior. You 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 didn't come from a marketing background cuz you had like a human psychology Yeah. understanding, right? So is that just like life experience? So I started taking all psychology sociology classes my second year of college. Um yeah. And they ended up telling me, like, you're not going to get a college degree doing this. And I just said, I, I don't care. This is what I want to learn about. I just want to do as yeah. much of that as possible. And they didn't like that, obviously. My academic <laughs> advisor didn't like that. And 
I started at the same time when I moved back home. I moved back home after a year and I started interviewing people. So I've interviewed over a thousand people at this point. Um, any type of person you could possibly think of from homeless people to billionaires, monks, lawyers, doctors, attorney, like any type of person, politicians. Uh, I did 65 end of life interviews. I've done a Twitter spaces on it. Um, once I believe talking about the end of life interview specifically, but, um, I did a lot of my interviews. Actually, I was driving for Lyft and Uber in San Francisco, trying to make some mm -hmm. money before I moved here yeah. to Arizona. Um, yeah. And I just started interviewing people as I was giving them rides because we're sitting in traffic most of the time. It's a big city. And yeah. so I just started talking to as many people as I possibly could. And I racked up I love over that. four years. I racked up over a thousand people I interviewed. That's crazy. Yeah, because I know, I, t I mean, you notice that for those those car rides. It's like, usually they're trying to get something out of me. They're trying to understand me. They're trying to, like, sometimes I feel like I'm interviewing them. Yeah. Right? Because it's like, they're giving me their background, tell me their experience. But like, what was, uh, tell like, what was probably, um, other than the end of life conversations, what was the most valuable conversations that you had in those, in those cars? Yeah. It, like there's no competition with the end of life interviews. Um, just cause like you, you just know what you're going to think about at the end of your life after you've talked to enough of those people. I think like talking, people talking through their regrets and then how their regrets have shaped their current model for living. So I realize a lot of people like most of what we show, uh, to the rest of the world online and offline is it's like a defense against the bad decisions I've made in the past. And then that shapes so much of my identity now. Like I have to say this about myself or I have to have this opinion or this view because it helps me reinforce the story that I have about why I ended up in the position I ended up in in life. And that yeah. goes from homeless people to the most successful people in the world. Like I realized that our identity is made up of a bunch of stories. So now like, that's a big part of what I implement um, when I do, I, I do men's coaching, like for entrepreneurs specifically. And a lot of it is around shaping that identity and reshaping a lot of the stories we've told ourselves. So I'd say that's probably the biggest like general lesson that I learned from everybody I talked to was, oh, we're just a bunch of stories mashed together into a person trying to live out the best version minus all the shit that we don't like about ourselves. Yeah. What, what, like, what do you, what do you think about victim mentality? Cause that goes into it a lot. Oh, I understand it. Um, mm. I also think there's a lot of hidden victim mentality. Like it's not as front facing as they did this to me. Therefore my life sucks. A lot of it's therefore they did this to me. Therefore I went out and got super successful cause fuck them. That's still, I think a victim mentality, um, because they're still an enemy. I got it's asked. Vengeful. Yeah. I got asked on a podcast a week ago. What was the pattern that I recognized with the happiest people I interviewed? The people I really believed like, oh, this person loves their life. They actually enjoy this thing that most people are trying to figure out how to enjoy. And I don't know why it was the first thing that popped in my head. And it's still after thinking about it, the most true thing. The happiest people I met didn't have an enemy in their story anymore. The story they told themselves about their life experiences, there was no villain anymore in order for them to be the hero they realize that I'm allowed to be a hero without there being a villain in my story. Or hmm. I think the most, the best conclusion that people can come to is that I was actually the villain in the first place. I was hmm. the person telling myself why I couldn't do the things, why I had to be this way, why I had to go prove them wrong. I was the person hmm. actually doing that to myself. 
I love that. Well, so and there's a lot of there's a lot of that superlative conversation. I think once you get into the mental framework stuff, um, that motivational mindset uh, and and the the belief systems that we have in ourselves, those those can be told by anybody in any in any way. Like I mean, on some level, people like Andrew Tate are talking about it, right? So at the top levels, Patrick Beth David, like you can go to Tony Robbins, and this is what we're talking about. What do you use to bring it down to earth for the people that you mentor? Where you have someone that that has heard those things, but it still doesn't hit home. Um, like, what's the differentiating factor on like what how it connects with one person to another person, and and when it actually starts to sink in? Yeah, so that's the thing is it's very contextual. Um, I, I just yesterday I had one of my clients who's uh, heavily academic, very very smart. He just kept asking when I would bring up a concept. Cool, what book do I need to read? Hey, I think these are some of like the shifts in your internal conversations you should be having. Yeah, what book can I read on that? Like, you, this is gonna suck ass for you because you can't read it in a book because a book can't give you context. You get it through difficult conversations with me, and then the resulting difficult conversations you have to have with yourself. I think we can spark some of the conversations. We can spark some of the ideas on our actual like coaching sessions. But then the conversations you're going to have in your own brain about our conversation afterwards are what's actually going to change you longer term. So I think people have a really difficult time with just having to sit there and have difficult conversations with themselves. Um, Mm. And so I think context is what makes the difference. Like I can hear how you've become who you've become, and then I can help you attach a better story about what made you that way than what you're currently telling yourself. And if you can actually start accepting that story, after I start, like, it's kind of like sales, after objection handle, after I help you write a new story, now I'm objection handling as to why you're not allowed to believe that. And as soon as I can start breaking through the objections, you're actually able to accept the new story and have that start being your new operating system. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and and on that, like, I I see culture in general, especially with, with content, it's shifting for like a, a done for you versus like a done with you or even done by yourself. Yeah. And it's like everything, everything you're seeing is like five steps. This is how you do this. It's point A to point B guaranteed to get your results. And a lot of times people try it or people just like don't believe it or they, they breeze past it because the reality is that the, it it requires that kind of context that you're talking about. What a lot of ads are based that way. A lot of ads are, are functioning in a, I'll solve all your problems by giving you the information when there's so much more that goes into it beyond the information. And there's so much more that yeah. goes into it beyond just like the systems in place. Right. Yeah. Um, how, what's a, what separates, you know, how, how can you do what you're doing from a one-to-one perspective in a coaching model to a one-to-many? How can you help that translate even more to help people understand that context is required? Yeah. So I just actually, I, I just signed on, um, with a company to help me manage uh, like the production creation of, of a course that I put out. I, I have, I was filming the videos right before my daughter was born and then she was born and then we got married and then we had another kid and like it was just enough things got piled on for me to not make yeah. the videos for the course. So I'm actually like working with this company to start kind of telling that story and then actually producing the course for me as well. And I think that's probably the better model for the one to many explaining through it that this isn't all the context that there is, but this is as close as I can get you 
without seeing your face, knowing your name and knowing like anything about you. It's how I had to really dig into how do I formulate these conversations in my own head and how did I without without anybody else's input? How did I start asking myself the right questions? And I think once you start, once you hit on a question, you're like, ah, fuck, that didn't feel good. Okay, what do I actually think about that? How do I actually feel about that? What made that come about? And when you can start that process for yourself and then start, it's like working out. So it's starting to enjoy the pain because you know growth is on the other side of the pain. So it's because I can focus on what happens after this and what increases and improves in my life after this, I'm willing to endure this because of what I believe comes after. And so it's helping people uh, wrestle with those pieces of themselves inside of the pain that allows them to focus more on who am I after this pain? And if that is more alluring than who I am now, I'm willing to go through it. What would you say? So like, I'm a firm believer that I like the, I like the model of coaching and I think it's similar to therapy. It's a different format because, Mm -hmm. because there's, there's the psychoanalysis that both sides have, but in my mind, I think the, the coaching model caters to like, here's a path forward um, and a recommended, like I've created the structure for you to follow. And if you follow this mental framework structure, if you follow these, these practices, right. And a lot of what you're, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of what you talk to your clients about is like helping them slow down. Yeah. Slow down. Truly process. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like in shooting. If you go to a shooting class, you're going to hear the line slow is smooth, smooth is fast. I think the way that you work inside your brain, like the the people who find it the hardest are the ones with the most frantic mental model of themselves. It's, I have to do this. I have to go achieve. I have to, like, I can't stop working. I'm working 16, 18 hours a day. I have to do this. I have to push for, you know, people talk about the massive numbers, a hundred million, billion, multi-billion dollars. I got to do that. And they're making 17 like grand a month, which is great. But that like, you're looking so far that you're making it an abstract. You're making it an abstract partially to give yourself permission not to go do it. And so I think the most frantic minds have the most difficult time with that slowing down process of actually, what do I actually think? What do I actually believe? Not what am I reading online? What did I see on a YouTube video? What did I hear on a podcast? Because that's, I think, one of the biggest dangers right now is people hear a lot of very articulate ways of reinforcing their biases, insecurities, and shortcomings. I love that. I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think something you're tapping into, you're tapping into the subject of balance. Yeah. What, what does balance mean to you? I mean, it's an ever moving target because sometimes balance looks more heavy toward work. Sometimes balance looks more heavy toward life. Um, and I think it kind of probably revolves in seasons. So like, again, when we're having kids work, doesn't become as important when we're in a mode right now where I'm actively building something that I believe lasts for quite a while. Um, Mm -hmm. Work then becomes a little bit closer to the front without sacrificing the things that are more important. So yeah, I think, I think we all have a personal balance that we find. And I think again, like politics, like religion, like so many things work becomes something that is so polarized. I either want to have the five hour work week or I want to bash my head against the wall 16 hours a day because fuck it, you know, caffeine, adrenaline, yeah. zins. Um, yeah, let me smoke cigarettes and do zins and pump out this blah, blah, blah for the next 18 hours. 
I think we just have such polar opposites that not many people are, not many young people are in the middle saying, let's find where these two are able to meet and kind of mesh together. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to, talk to me about gratitude. You have a really nice gratitude framework. Tell me about your perspective on that and how, and how useful of a tool that is. Yeah. I think I found that gratitude was healing both for positive and negative things. Um, and maybe even especially for negative things. I found that when I was able to become grateful for negative things that had happened, only then was I actually able to move through them. Uh, even if I thought that I had healed from them, that I had done you know something to not think about it all day long anymore, there was still like this harbored knot in my stomach. If, if a certain topic was brought up or if a certain person was brought up, still feeling that like, oh, yeah, fuck that guy. Mm-hmm. That was something I was uncomfortable with. And I didn't like yeah. that I still had that as a, as a piece of myself. So I realized that gratitude, again, for good and bad, was the way for me to consistently focus and set an intention toward what I want more of and to set a whole lot less time and attention on um, what I don't desire in my life. Hmm. What a, a lot of what you're saying is so religiously based, and I love that. What, talk to me about your your roots and your connection with God, because it's evident in in what you exude in terms of your values. Yeah. And it seems like they're like I mean everybody has a relationship; it's either positive or negative, right? But like, there's an element where the things that you're talking about, like I can tell it's deeply rooted in the foundation. Um. So how does that drive you, and how does that how does that how does that moral compass like guide you to to these to these practices that that ultimately lead to a certain level of peace? Yeah, I would say it's one, it is completely within a personal relationship with, you call it God, you call it source, call it universe, whatever you want to call it. I I think it's the same thing, Um, but it exists in zero, uh, at least like organized religious structure. It is only existing through what I believe is a personal relationship with God. I choose to call it God, but whatever anybody else wants to call it. It is only through a personal... Say, rel- say your truth, man. Say your truth. If people get offended, screw it. Doesn't no, matter. no, no. It's not about offended. <laughs> it's, I think people compartmentalize and they think that it's something different because you call it something different. Yeah. If this thing is the all-powerful, what created, what is doing, what is acting through and in all of us, then it is the same thing no matter what you call it. Arose by any mm-hmm. other name, right? So I don't care. Like, it doesn't matter what people call it. It is the same thing. And I always kind of add that in just as a... You may not call it the same thing, but we're talking about the same thing. Can we at least establish that before we move yeah, forward? Yeah, 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 that's it. I love it. What uh? So, what changed you more in your perspective? Was it was it having conversations with people at the at these end of life interviews, or was it being a dad? Um, conversations with people by far, because it, it, it's what prepared me to even be a dad. I started. When I started actually working through this, so I was probably 19 and a half, let's say. That's when I started dreaming about my kids. I knew I needed to be a dad. Um, I knew I needed to be like an older brother slash mentor kind of thing. That's that's where I would differentiate from what I do versus therapy because people kind of ask a lot. Like, one, I charge yeah. a lot more than therapists do. So it's hard for some people to kind of get that, uh, like, what makes it so much different. And yeah. I'm I'm a guide mentor, big brother uh, that people can actually hire. Yeah, I was just in my mind. I'm thinking like for me personally, fatherhood was kind of what really changed stuff for me. It put things in perspective. Yeah, and it made me realize like, okay, I, I, that's what cued the gotcha. grant you need to be a man. 
So right? yeah. So having kids actually what it did was reinforce that I'd been that I'd been doing the right things before I had them. Hmm. I think having children, yeah, I, I think it was like a good breath of fresh air for me. I wasn't nervous. Mm-hmm. I wasn't scared. I had no qualms about my ability to be a father. I knew I'd pick the right person to have my kids with. Yeah. Um, That's so huge. <laughs> oh my God, bro. So it's so huge. I say this and I, I've been um, locked out of my Facebook account for saying it before. And I understand why. Um, when my daughter was born, so I had my daughter first and then we just had my son four months ago. And oh, nice. you're in the thick of it. Yeah. We're right in the middle of it. Uh, <laughs> two, yeah. We had two under two. Uh, and so when my daughter was born, my first three thoughts, this is like the most beautiful creature I've ever seen in my life. And the babies are ugly when they're first born. I couldn't <laughs> even see that. Not even a little bit. I broke down completely when I first saw my daughter. I and the second one was, thank God I picked the right woman to do this with. Because I've mm-hmm. seen through my parents, through uh, so many, through most people really, that they don't believe or they no longer believe that they picked the right person to have children with. Mm-hmm. Third one was I was I would kill everybody in that hospital for her <laughs> immediately, including myself, including the parents <laughs> in the like in the waiting room. It sounds terrible, including every single person in that hospital in like the blink of an eye. I wouldn't think about it for this yeah. creature that doesn't know me, that doesn't love me yet, that doesn't respect me, that has no clue who I am yet. I would immediately do anything and everything for this creature, like in the snap of a of, of a finger, and I don't even know her yet. <laughs> it was super, like it was this weird, like visceral. Did you feel? Uh, did you feel the same thing for your son? I think because it was so harsh with my daughter, it was just like, uh, okay, yeah, I recognize that feeling. Yeah, and, and they're so different too. Having yeah. a boy versus having a girl is very different. I was so, I was, at, that's the only thing I was scared about. Not becoming a dad, but having a daughter was super scary mm-hmm. to me. And then as soon as she was born, I was like, yeah, that's what I needed, huh? Yeah. Like I needed, the, <laughs> like, because little girls have this way of softening you in, like, that nothing else is able to. My wife couldn't. Yeah, it's the genuine best. It's my oh, like, my I like I I would have I wouldn't have minded like sorry I I've, sorry to my son who's gonna listen to this at some point, but like I I wouldn't have minded if I had all girls. Yeah. I wouldn't minded it, but like I like that I had I had one of each. I had a similar thing where like immediately after my daughter, I was like, you know what, this is it. This is awesome. I'm all in. I love baby mode. My son, I was like, you know what, I like babies, but yeah. See, I needed a boy too. That was actually like I knew I needed a son. I like yeah. with what I do in the world, I have to have a son. There's just no yeah. way to not. Um, and so my wife and I even had the conversation of like, how many girls will we have to have before we make sure that the next one's a boy? So we're like, <laughs> we have three girls. That fourth one, like we're putting that thing in a tube, and yeah. we're sure like we're picking <laughs> that that one's gonna be. You're, a boy. you're adopting at that point. You're adopting. We're, you can sure. choose now. <laughs> Like, you can? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What? They can pick, like, the sperm with the right chromosomes. Oh, that's crazy. make sure it's a That's board. crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. would, Like, that would be 100%. <laughs> I just knew. Like, I need to have a son. I do so much work with young guys that I'm not related to and that I don't get 24-7 with. You know what, though? Like, you're also, your perspective is, like, I think you can, you can, because you have an understanding of how to treat women. Mm-hmm. Right. And what respect looks like, what what masculinity looks like, what what being a man looks like and what that represents and that there is actually honor in it. There's power in it. There's there's um, 
there's a meekness required, right? There's a humility required in it. I think because of that, you're able to approach, like, I think you'd have just as much authority if you had all girls. Because sometimes, yeah. like, those are the one where I'm like, man, you really know what it means to protect, and you really know what it means yeah. to respect. It's how to relate. And you really know what it means to sacrifice. This is the thing, is that a son is now a mirror for one for which to look at yourself. So this is what I get to look at from my son. I get to see who I could have been earlier, better, differently, mm. if my father oh, yeah. was who his father oh, is. Yeah. Mm. So because like a lot of, uh, most of the things that I know, handiwork, how to fix a sink, how to fix a toilet, how to fix a car, any of it is from YouTube. I didn't mm. learn most of what manhood looks like from a dad. And so part of this now is I get to give my son the gift of that and then get to see a reflection of who would have I become had I had that as well. Now, I don't have any room, like, I don't harbor anything negative about it. It's made me now who yeah. I am. Um, I know people say Yo, tell, let me, let me, let me, let me ask you about that because you're talking, we were, we were just talking about forgiveness. We we're talking about, you know, being the hero of your story without having to have a villain. Uh, w like, it, would that be the thing that you had to overcome of, 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 your father in that relationship dynamic, right? Or and like being like, I have to now be the father to my son that I didn't have. Yeah, it was a big part of I'm it. I'm assuming a lot in there because I'm not sure. I'm not sure what your relationship was like with your dad, but no, it but. was a lot of it. We didn't speak for like five years, um, mm. and it was sort of kind of on the back of that. Like you didn't really set me up for success here. Like I got to figure yeah. all this out on my own at 18, 19, 20 years old, and yeah. I just realized like, oh, I don't have the tools for this. Because yeah. like you, what are you gonna? You can't teach me financial literacy. You can't teach me yeah. how to have positive relationships. You can't teach me how to you know keep the same job for a long time. Like you're not able to through your actions have taught me what I need to know in order to be successful at this. So I either have to do what most people do and say ah, I got I got dealt a shit hand over here. I just can't yeah. do much with it. Yep. Let me do what I can and like pretend to do what I can or. Let me be the stark contrast. Let me start building it at 19 so that when I have my first kid at 26, 27, 27, um, I now have my own blueprint, not having been given one when I was younger. Yep. And yeah. so I went through well, this whole thing. Go ahead. I was just going to say, let me encourage you because, I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm probably the only person I know that has a great relationship with their dad. And yeah. That's across generations across like every friend every friend group i i have every new relationship i i meet like i talk to them and i ask them questions about the relationship with their dad and almost unanimous i can't yeah, i I've probably many. on the, my hand i can probably count the amount of times a guy could say like i respect my dad yeah um but like i will say that the the influence of it like you you have two choices either you have a great one and it sets you up for success which in my opinion mine did my dad was a pastor uh, and I, he taught me discernment. He taught me wisdom. He he released me at the right time. He like, I was 15 years old, and he was like, Grant, you have to make decisions for yourself. <laughs> and I was and like, uh -oh. but like in a positive way that like had structure, and like he was able yeah, to walk see, me through it as like a brother, right? Our and that was like that was beneficial. Like, so you, yeah. Our version of that, real quick, was being like eight years old, and hey man, we need something from the grocery store. Walk through this field of homeless people. <laughs> And like, don't get hurt and come back and give me my fucking change when I get back. Don't buy a gumball. That was like our son. You need to do things on your own. Like walk to the grocery store, all the scary yeah. homeless people in this fucking field uh, and come back to this creepy apartment <laughs> building. 
<laughs> yeah, so I, my dad wasn't my dad wasn't out of pocket like that. Yeah, it was, but yeah. it was like it was helpful in a sense of like, I like you know you can imagine like the religious background. There's a lot of structure. There's a lot of like, uh, it's sheltered, right? Mm-hmm. And so like I think he was also kind of against that too because he 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 appropriately like helped me kind of discern through things and yeah. think through things and be like, hey, let's you engage with this. How do you feel about it? What are your thoughts on it? Do you think it was a good thing or a bad thing? How do you, like how did it make you feel? That that process super beneficial for me and I feel like really shaped me and my, my perspective and my value system. But I will say like I have that and I think there's even more benefit or just as much benefit to to saying I didn't like what I had. Yeah. Or in, in one of my friend's situations, like my his dad died early and he's like, I didn't have anything. Yeah. And so he, he's getting input from uncles and, and grandparents and it's like I'm able to now decide what fatherhood means and then able to decide like how I want to have that be reflected. And you go back to the template, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're like, I'm going to create the blueprint myself. I also there is a benefit to that. I friends who did have a relationship with their dads. I started interviewing their dads and them. And I wanted yeah. to see what does it look like when you actually like, when I, when I know I've been loved and like cared for and respected by my dad so that now that I'm an adult, I love and care for and respect my dad. I wanted to know what yeah. that looked like. Cause I was like, I don't fucking yeah. have that. Even though my dad yeah. and I are cool now, um, it was right before my daughter was born. Like we kind of reconnected. I have a younger brother too, who's 10, um, or just turned 11. And so I wanted a relationship with my younger brother as well, but I kind of had the conversation with my dad. It was like, we're cool now. We can like have the conversations that we didn't have over years. Yeah. Um, but I just, I don't need dad right now. We, we can be friends. Yeah. We can be cool with each other. Yeah. I'll give you a hug. I'll tell you, I don't I need to respect you. you to that level. Yeah, yeah. But I don't need dad. Like that, yeah. that time's gone. The ship sailed. We yep. didn't have the best at bat that we wanted to. I just yeah. don't need that now. Like you're not yeah. going to give me advice. You're not going to tell me how to but do any of this. Something, something that's, that's, that's coming across to me and all the, everything you're talking about is that you've been so resourceful in that you go seek out information. Yeah. So like when you don't feel like you have something you don't like, and even when people are saying like you're talking about in, in college, you're like, I want to learn this. And your guidance counselor was like, you're not going to graduate with that. But you're like, no, I just want to learn it. And then you find a way to utilize it. You find a way to leverage it. That is such a unique skill set. So you're talking about like you wanted to learn something and you reached out to like, you're like, I want to know what a good dad and son dynamic is. And so you reached out to dad and sons and you say, I want to interview you. Mm -hmm. Like that is that like that is so unique. I don't think I, I, I do that. And I don't think many I think everyone should. So this is the thing that we were both embedded with a gift you got embedded with the blueprint that gave you discernment, that taught you discernment. I was embedded with a blueprint that gave me resourcefulness. I had to go find it. Not many people are able to meet the two. So have you seen the Oppenheimer movie? Not yet, not yet. Beautiful movie, and this won't ruin it. But what he did that was so incredible was the ability to hold multiple uh, perspectives about something and not adopt either one. Be able to mm-hmm. see the fruits of each one, be able to see the positive negatives, um, the possible shortcomings, the possible pitfalls without absolutely absorbing one of them in like and having to reject the other because of it. And so I think the people who can both hold resourcefulness, like emergency mode, I have to make something fucking happen for myself and also mm-hmm. the discernment of what are the right and wrong choices to make. Because you think about it, again, younger guys. It's really easy to go 100 miles an hour and just keep fucking up and just keep moving and use that as your I'm doing great because I keep moving no matter how many times I fuck up. 
at a, a certain point, we say, if the road turns left, I should probably turn the wheel left. And that's when people start realizing how much quicker they're able to learn the lessons when they're not yeah. learning the lessons in cycles. They're not learning the same lessons over and over again. I or get or through mistakes, like through mistakes over and over. Like, yes, we'll make mistakes, but like you're not you're not forcing yourself to learn a negative lesson. Exactly. It's not like I, I did this and is, I have to regret it. Yeah. It's like the tenacity and resourcefulness from coming from a lack of something mixed with the discernment from having enough of something that you can have your head above water and actually look around yeah. and see what's there. I think I think both can be learned. I think that I think resourcefulness is harder to learn because you have to you have to have need and understand that need in, a, in like a new and fresh way to be like okay, I know I don't have this and I see that other people have it and I know how to go pursue it. And I know how to go ch- like chase that in, in a in a positive way whereas like yeah. everyone builds discernment over time. Some people are just bad at it. <laughs> like resourceful like you're either good or bad at it, but like discernment like everyone has something like they're discerning. Like you're it's like discernment is like I, this is how I understand the situation and I'm making the assessment whether this is a positive or negative thing. And people are not good at that generally. This is a good contrast. I believe discernment is actually harder to get. Yeah. Wow. We, tell me about, like, about Why do you think that? Ours. I believe that what I got was easier to get. You believe that what you got was easier to get. And the thing that you didn't naturally have embedded in you from a young age, you now believe is harder to get. But I believe that what you feel comes most naturally is actually harder. To but do. but I think you're you're a testament, right? Because I'm looking at you, and I I think you're you've said like you're you at one point said I'm just gonna like I, maybe it was at 19, and you said I'm just gonna figure this out. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna do this, and then you spent eight years, seven years building to where your framework is now. So I had to build discernment. And then before you had before, before yeah you had to build discernment from the ground up. Yeah, which is a really hard thing to do. That's what I'm saying. And you had to build resourcefulness because you already had discernment. Mm-hmm. You went and searched for what you didn't have. So did I. Yeah, that's interesting. So I think that's why our perspective is that it's harder. It's not that yeah. one, I don't believe one is actually harder than the other. I think from my perspective, one is harder because I didn't feel like I naturally had it. I had to be resourceful. Yeah. I didn't have to really be discerning, at least yeah. at the beginning. You didn't have to yeah. be resourceful until there's something that requires an emergency. Oh, shit, I have to figure this out. Or or yeah. it's just like a, a naturally like internally led thing, too. And that's yeah. even harder. You, I, I work with a lot of guys who come from like very affluent families. They've never really had to be resourceful in that way because it's just never been a requirement until your internal structure starts to break down. That's when I start working with a lot of them is yeah. what has worked up to this point that like the problems that money was able to solve, the problems that I was able to overcome because um, I could either pay for them or I had like the connections to deal with them. Those are no longer making me feel the way I want to feel in my life anymore. So I've covered it up. Yeah. Girls, drugs, alcohol, whatever, or work. I think it's the same thing. Those guys have a really difficult time with both resourcefulness and discernment. Yeah. What, a what, yeah, what did you feel when you started making money? Because it sounds like you were like, you know what? I'm going to school for ball. I'm learning this, and I'm learning education. I'm, you're hustling. You're you're driving, right? You're having conversations. You're discovering that you like that, and you're discovering that you have a skill set that it that translates to advertisements mm-hmm. and translates to marketing in, in an organic way. Um, things started churning. You got success for your first client. Like when when money started coming, what was your 
gut reaction? Was it like, this is a positive thing? Was it like, oh man, how do I spend it? Was it like, I don't know what to do with this? Like, how did you respond yeah. to, to that level of success? I mean, I would say the first three years of my business. So like all of 16, all of 17, and probably most of 18, I just spent everything I made. Like mm-hmm. I, 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 I never, ever had money in my account. And I was still, by 2018, I was at probably the 10, 12, 15 grand a month mark. And it was still gone at the end of the month, 100% of the time. It wasn't that it was sometimes, it was every single month. Well, I think and was that money, was that because you liked did you did you like were you addicted to the I have to make something happen? No, I like well, so I think yes. I think subconsciously yes. I liked the emergency mode that it put me in. Again, resourcefulness. It put yeah. me in a mode that I was very comfortable with the discomfort of I don't have any money, what do I go do? And that's actually what like that's what made me go work. That's what motivated me for a long time and now I'm in a spot where thankfully I don't have to use that as my fuel. I don't think that fear is a good fuel, but I used it for a long time and it worked for me for a long time. So I continued using it even after I was successful. Um, I think a lot of it was being able to do now what I never got to do as a kid. We didn't eat at nice restaurants. We didn't get to travel. We didn't get to be frivolous. We didn't get to buy the cool things that we wanted to buy. So being able to do all the things that I just didn't know were going to ever be available to me, I think became part of the addiction. It was, I now have this abundance. Like even my wife now, she gets so mad. I don't eat leftovers. We ate leftovers fucking four nights a week when I was growing up. I hate it. It's gross. I don't want to do it. So I legit (laughs) do not eat leftovers anymore. And she knows when we make something, if there's food left over, kids, her, my parents can eat it. Friends can eat it if they're coming over. I'm not eating shit that wasn't just cooked. And it was like, I swear it was like a trauma response from childhood where I had so many leftovers. I just, I don't do that anymore. And we were talking, some of my friends were over. um, He's another entrepreneur and his girlfriend, my parents were over. And we started, he mentioned something about it. Yeah, I don't eat, I don't even take food home from restaurants, I think is what he said. Like, I'm not going to eat it. Why am I taking yeah. it home? It's going to take up space. Why would I take it yeah. And I saw yep. my mom's face like, what the fuck's wrong with this guy? And yeah. I like, well, <laughs> told you. That's how we are. Because he grew up on leftover lasagna Monday through Thursday from Sunday night dinner. And it sucked. Yeah. And I think a lot of it now, like, at the beginning, it's a response to... So we talk about the villain in your story, right? The villain was leftovers. And this is my rebuttal against the thing that I had to do for so long. Love that. Yeah. Love that. So wait, so did you, did this come naturally or what, who coached you? Who mentored you? Did you go to therapy? What, how did you get your value system? How did you get these frameworks? Did it come naturally or did like, did someone help you on this journey to, yeah. to kind of guide you to this point? I, so I say I, I started collecting father figures. Um, yep. Probably around the same time I started interviewing people. Actually, yeah. I think I was accidentally doing it before that. It was friends, dads, it was uncles, it was coaches, it was teachers. Yep. I, yeah. I just, like, I think I saw, and I didn't know that I saw it, but I have a story from, like, six years old. I don't think I have the time to tell. No, I don't. Um, where I re- kind of realized, maybe subconsciously, my dad wasn't going to be the one to teach me how to do this thing. And so I need to learn how to do this thing. How do I go learn how to do the thing? So I think that's where resourcefulness came in was I just on accident started watching friends who did have good relationships with their dads. Uh, again, coaches, 
teachers. And then once I got older, I was able to start like kind of selecting mentor types yep. to do this with me. Yeah. And now I'm able to be that for other guys too. Like I yeah. realized that this is such a need, especially when you're young and successful to have the, the wise guy to come to and be like, Hey man, how do I think through this? Like, this is really tough. I'm, I'm running yeah. up against all these obstacles. How do I more effectively think through what's going on right now? Not solve my yeah. problems for me. How do I think about it? And I got yeah. it from there. And that's a big part of what I do now because, again, it was like I saw the value of having to collect it. But my dad in my head is made up of probably 30 men throughout my life that have kind I of stepped that. into pieces of that role for me. I love that. Yeah. And I think, I think that speaks – I mean everyone can relate to that. And in my mind, like, I have a dad, and I, he's a great dad, right? But, like, I still get coaching, and I still chase those father figures, right? And I still chase, like, it's – and you say father figures, but really it's just, like, it's mentor. Yeah. And I think it, there's, a, there's an element of discipleship that's just required for success yeah. in any way. Like, I, I see a lot of younger guys, and a lot of younger guys kind of chase the peer thing. Let me find my group yeah, nah. of people at the same level as me. And we're just going to hustle together. And I'm like, awesome, good, have that. But you need people that are 10 steps ahead yeah, and five steps ahead. So this, Not just people that are one or two steps ahead. Like you need people that are like to chase. That creates, it, it requires humility that most young guys, especially if you make some money, do not have access to. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many people I'm listening to a young guy talk. There's a few of them that are on Twitter. They live here in Arizona that I've done this exact same thing to. And I fucking cackle every time I do it where they'll talk about the things they're doing. I'm ripping and running, you know, girls, cars, whatever. And I just dropped 70 K on this and I just dropped 30 K on this. And I, I joined this business mastermind of a bunch of really fucking successful guys. And they're going to make me blah, 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 blah. I say, who do you talk to? Like for your personal work? Um, how do you become a better person? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I haven't really focused on that yet. And my immediate <laughs> response every single time, they'll talk to me about why they're not doing it. And I say, I can tell. And they go, ah, oh, what do you mean? And then like the insecurity pops up. It's like, what could you see in me that, that told you I don't have somebody to do this for me? Then the yeah. second part always comes up, which is my favorite. Is they're like, are you trying to sell me on coaching me? I said, no. <laughs> like obviously like you're not bringing that up unless you're trying to pitch me on something i'm like try to hire me ask me how much i yeah. charge how much do you charge <laughs> this much okay i'm gonna hire you no you're not you can't unless you're ready for it you genuinely i'm yeah. not taking your money i'm not working with you unless you're ready for it what i'm trying to do is show you where the lack is and that it's noticed you don't think it's yeah. noticed because you surround yourself with peers or you surround yourself with subordinates because you have a business. You surround yourself yeah. with clients and people who are equal to you. You don't have anybody you view up here, and that's part of the yeah. problem. Nobody yeah. can tell you your shit stinks. Nobody's allowed to yeah. tell you your shit stinks. Or what do you do? You completely cut them off. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just pride. Yeah. It's pride. I, do, you think, do you think it's possible to to find that level to find success to that extent at a young age and not be prideful. Have you seen that happen to anybody? Yeah. One of my one of my clients actually, like he his problem is not pride. Not even close. And he's the second highest net worth individual I've worked with. And is it, it, it does it go the opposite side of like insecurity and self-pity? Uh not pity, self-doubt a lot. 
lack of lack of um, feeling of deservedness. I did this on accident. I got this because I was lucky. Mm. So it's the exact opposite problem. And I find that a lot of my clients kind of fall into one of those two categories. It's either massive, massive pride that we have to sort of like make you run into walls a little yeah. bit, or it is, I don't believe I deserve any of this that I've built. And how do I start reshaping those stories? So it's guys on both sides of the spectrum that I'm helping some, in some ways, come to the middle. Yeah, I love that. That's so great. Okay, well, I want to be sensitive to your time. Thanks so much for being with you. I, I, we didn't talk about Facebook ads at all, and that's what I want to learn. Well, <laughs> well we can talk about we'll have to get another conversation. Or we can, I can come yeah. back on and talk about Facebook ads. This is so much more interesting to me than Facebook ads. I know, I know. I, it's like you have a you have such an interesting background that I just want to learn about, and I'm just like, man. Because I, like, I see it in your content, and it exudes in your personality. Yeah. And I think for anybody that's listening to this, just go follow him. I think you're going to be benefited from having that content. Just your feed is filled with so much crap. And I think any young guy, if you're the majority, the majority of you are following girls, and you're following guys that you're liking their lifestyle, you're liking their ego, you're you're following them for the Lambo, you're following them for the for the aesthetic. And even if it's gym space, you're following for the aesthetic. The reality is you need content like this in your face that encourages you to think and encourages you to take take a second, pause, and recognize that you are on a path and you need to decide if the path that you're currently on is the one you should be on, is the one that's going to lead to a place where you're going to feel like you have respect for the people around you and you're proud of what you're accomplishing. I love that that's what you represent. I mean, your, your, your bio says, I, ha- I help men have uncomfortable conversations with themselves. Like, that is powerful, and I think that, that needs to be broadcasted more on social media. So, um, yeah, give them a follow. Um, all this stuff is going to be in the show notes and the description. So really appreciate having you on, Kyrie. I, I feel like, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people are going to be benefiting from this, and I think uh, I want to I talk to you more because it, it <laughs> serves my soul, and I love, I love thinking like this. So Likewise, I appreciate brother. you. Yeah, thank you again um, for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. We'll talk soon.